Good morning. Before we begin, I need to tell you my son Joshua's face. Skin's so funny. Because. <laughs> I promised him I'd tell it one day, and today's the day. <laughs> I learned this week that sea otters hold hands at night so they don't drift apart when they sleep. How cute. And that termites eat twice the speed when they listen to heavy metal music. <laughs> Do I just not need to move? I'll do my thing. Do you know, some facts that we, that we hear can really like, catch us by surprise and even stagger us, depending on how, how significant they are. Like I learned there's a building project happening in Saudi Arabia at the moment, or they're trying to build a building that is over a kilometer high. Like, whoa. I learned that um, engineers uh, a little while ago managed to... Um, engrave the entire of the Old Testament, 1.2 million letters, on a chip the size of a grain of sugar. Now, how clever is that? I don't really know why they would do it, but <laughs> they're incredible. I was listening to a guy called Brian Cox. He's a British physicist, and he's one of those, like, you know when someone's speaking about something you don't really care about, but they do it with such enthusiasm, they kind of draw you in. He's one of those guys, and in this interview, he was asked, like, what is the one thing about the universe that staggers you, that like, blows your mind? He said it would have to be the sheer size of the universe. It's just so huge. He said, like, take our galaxy. It takes 100,000 years for light, which is the fastest thing in the universe, to travel from one side to the other of our galaxy. In our galaxy, there are 400 billion stars in our one galaxy. And he said every time we... S- we build something better and cleverer that can see further. We see more galaxies, and so far we've counted two trillion galaxies. It's like the, it's like the sheer size. <laughs> it's just unfathomable. And when you look at the detail um, that is in creation, it's staggering as well. Like you take a strand of DNA. Now, DNA is 3.2 billion pairs of letters long, all twisted into this like double helix of information and. And if you're impressed by the size of that nano Bible, you're impressed by this. If I stacked 40,000 strands of DNA on top of each other, they still don't make the thickness of a piece of paper. Like, incredible. Kind of puts our 1,000-meter-high building and our nano Bible engraver (laughs) in a little bit of perspective. So Genesis 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the vast heavens, this universe and the earth. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, for you formed my inward parts. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, intricately woven together. It's almost like the psalmist had had a glimpse as to what (laughs) DNA looked like almost. But why why does this matter? Why would I open one with a fabulous joke that you must remember? That is a keeper. But it matters because the God who made the vast, huge, which deep down in, in your heart, you know, couldn't just appear for no reason because of nothing. The God who made the vast and made the detail loves you. And today, for one reason or another, has drawn you here today to hear the gospel that he wants to save you. And save you, and this is like the opposite of my chicken joke. Save you from the power and the penalty of sin. Death. 
and an eternal separation from God in a place called hell, which we don't talk about so often. We prefer like talk about the cool facts about how wonderful God is, and we sing right brilliant songs to him, but he is calling anyone here who is not yet saved to hear his love for you. The Bible tells us that there is one God. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And in the beginning, he made man and woman in his image. And he gave man and woman an option. He said, if you trust me and follow me, I will give you eternal joy and peace and glory and, and all the glorious things about me forever. But if you want, you could choose to live to your own standards. You could choose to ignore what I've said and you could choose to make your own way. But if you do that, the consequence of that will be death and separation from me. And faced with that, like eternal joy and the consequences of choosing their own way, they chose their own way. And death came into the world. And sin, our decisions to live according to how we feel, what makes, it, what makes sense to us, caused death to enter the world and a separation from God because God is perfect and he cannot have sin in his presence. And it'd be easy to point the finger at the, at the first man and woman and like, well, what did you do? <laughs> Why did you mess up for me? But Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. It says we have turned, every single one of us, to his or her own way. Each of us have chosen not to live according to the life the Lord longs for us, but each of us have chosen to live according to our own standards, to make our own decisions. So now we, uh, me and Lizzie, we rent a home and um, a really lovely guy came to check our boiler a few months ago and as we were chatting and I was plying him with tea and biscuits, always a good shout, we just got talking about life, and I just had a bowel cancer scare, really sobering, um, and he'd had some health concerns as well. So we were just talking about how fragile life can be. Just having this frank conversation over some fabulous biscuits and tea, and and he and he said, "You just never know, do you? You just never know. You never know what's around the corner." So yesterday, I, I got a message from back home. Um, a motorcyclist had been driving, not dangerously, outside my sister's home. And something had happened to his bike, and he had just crashed headlong into a lamppost and died. Finished. Like, life is fragile. You, you do not know like, what's coming. And as I was talking to him, I was like, well, what do you think happens like, when you die? And he said, well, I... I reckon there must be a God. He's like, there's just too much. There's just too much to have appeared out of nothing. And there's just too, yeah. It's like in my head, I reckon there is a God, and I just hope that I've lived a good enough life for when I die that I'll I'll stand before God and He'll let me in to whatever heaven is. And I could tell, like he was a good guy. Like he was a lovely, I wouldn't have given him so many of my biscuits <laughs> had he not been. I could tell he was a good guy. And hopefully, in a way, just by me being here, you would hope that I'm a fairly good guy as well. I'm guessing most of you are, would be classed by the world as fairly good people. The problem is that when I die, and, then, and we never like facing it, but death is going to come to all of us one day. 
when I die, I'm going to face God, and I won't be judged according to my standards or to your standards. Or what we think was kind of, oh, yeah, you had, a, you had an okay life. I'll be judged according to God's standards. And in the Bible, there are 10 key standards that point towards what a perfect life, like an eternal joy and relationship with God would look like. And they're called the Ten Commandments. And even though, like, if I bet we could just switch on the channel right now and watch some of the news, and you would see some evil things that could make all of us go, there is no way, <laughs> I, do, I do not fall as short as that. I bet, I bet there's enough bodies in the room that the people in here will have experienced what we would call would be, like, evil stuff. And each of us would hopefully go, we would, we would never do that, though. But when I'm judged according to God's standard, I ask myself a question like, have I, have I ever lied? Yes. Have I ever stolen? Yes. Have I ever looked at another woman who is not my wife in lust? Yes. Have I ever used the Lord's name in vain? Yes. Have I ever hated or felt hatred or violence towards someone? Yes. When I die and face God, if I'm judged according to his standard, then I'm not this just like good guy anymore. I'm a lying, adulterous, blaspheming, idolatrous, thieving murderer. And in a way you could be like, but that's just, that's so harsh. <laughs> and to a point, a bit of me could be like, oh, that's a bit harsh, but I didn't, I didn't do as bad as, as that or them. And look at the things I did do, but... But this isn't even looking at how many times I didn't love someone as I would want to be loved. When I hold my life up to like God's standards, I fall so desperately short. And what happens when, when we have like our sin like, highlighted in us? It's, this isn't the thing that we see. Like this, this good guy isn't going to be held in front of me when I face God when I die. These horrible labels of my sin are going to be written across my heart. And as much as I want to like, protest my innocence and try and point to one person or another, like all of my sin, every single one of my sins will be standing between me and God. And I wouldn't be able to lie. And if God said to me, well, can, I, can I let you into my presence then? I would have to say no. Because you're perfect and I am not. However good a person I feel like I am. Psalm 7 verse 11 says that God is righteous and he's a perfect and just judge. Even though every single one of us in here would, would accept the truth that none of us are perfect. There wouldn't be one hand that would go up if I said, like, who's perfect here? But each of us still have this this inside part of us that longs for justice when we see really bad stuff happening. Like when I watch the news and I see of like child abuse or rape or something that I know, this isn't just a moral that has evolved over centuries. This was just wrong. There needs to be justice for that. Well, that justice comes from the Lord, who is a righteous, perfect judge. And when I die, this sin, my sin, when you die, your sin, if it is still written across your heart, will be an eternal barrier to you and God. 
And that's not just a barrier to this like floaty, fluffy cloud place called heaven. It will be a barrier to any good at all. The Bible says that hell is the separation from us and God forever. The total separation. No joy, no peace, no comfort. Utter loneliness. Utter anxiety, panic, terror. Those things are left when you completely and totally remove God from existence. So what's this answer? <laughs> like, fortunately for you, I'm not finished. Like, I can't, I'm not just going to leave us. Like, well, then you've got all this sin. And every single one of us, how much you believe in God or not, you know like your heart has got wrong written on it. It has. And you also know you are going to die one day. It is the horrible fact of life. It is coming for all of us. So what is this hope that we celebrate, we've hopefully sung our hearts out to today? Well, is it like a religion that says, well, well um, why don't you just try and be perfect from now on? Do you know, I, I tried an experiment. I tried to be a perfect dad this morning, getting my kids ready for church this morning. I'd, I'd got up early, I'd prayed, I'd read through this again. I was, I was like, God, I'm, ju- I'm just going to try, and they broke me. <laughs> I was this, like, I've just got two and a half hours. <laughs> That's it. And I couldn't. And I made a better effort than normal. <laughs> I was, wasn't I? I was trying my hardest. <laughs> I think Lizzie was like, wow, this new guy. <laughs> but I couldn't. This, this salvation, this saving story of God, isn't this now, now you're going to come and you're going to get wet. It's going to be a little bit weird. And then you're just going to try your hardest, grit your teeth, pray enough, read enough, do enough good stuff. That doesn't wipe this away. No matter how many good things I can line up, it doesn't rub this out. Can I have my, my friends, Howard and Chris and Dan, they might need you. Could you go and grab that cross for me? And what God did was, he didn't say, okay, now I'm just going to give you a new command of be perfect, because that would just be the most useless command to us, because it's impossible he also didn't invent a way that you could pay for your own sin, like maybe get some, maybe get something before you where you know you've prayed enough or been to church enough or done enough good deeds or given away enough money. Because no matter how small or minor or major and massive your sin is, it's still sin. And no amount of money, like what money would you give God, the maker of heavens and earth? Like what money would you give him to go, oh, this will pay? This would satisfy your need for justice. If someone murdered someone in my family, how much money do you think that would satisfy my heart? Would that be justice? Am I a better judge than God? Now, Romans 3.23 says, All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Could you guys come here and lift up that cross, please? You may be here and you may not know what the gospel is. Well, the gospel says that God knows how much sin is there on our hearts. And he can't just pretend that it doesn't exist. And so God sees all of our sins and knows that we could neither pay for it nor stop sinning. And so he sent his only son who lived a perfect life. 
the only man to ever live a perfect life. And the Father sent the Son. John 3.16, I bet loads of you will know it, but God the Father loves you so much that he sent his Son into this world to die for every single one of us. To save us from not just dying in this physical body, but an eternity of separation away from God. Because he loves you. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, what happened while he was on the cross was all of my sin. And this represents you as well. All of my sin was nailed to the cross. Now, hopefully, Dan and Chris's hands aren't going to be nailed through the back of this. We have some pilot holes. There was some risk assessing done with this. But when the man, the fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, was hammered to the cross, after a day of beating, beaten with rods, tortured, having his body torn to pieces for stuff he had not done wrong, on the cross, hanging there, all of my sin was poured into him. Isaiah 53 says that all of the sin of the world was poured into his heart. This perfect saviour who had never done anything wrong takes all the horrors of the world. Like those things that me and you would go, we would, but we would never do that. All of that sickness and sin was poured into him. All of your sin that you may not think is that significant, but is still just as wrong on one level was poured into the heart of Jesus Christ. So that Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, for by grace then I and you could be saved. And this would not be your own doing, but it will be a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one could boast. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, for yours and my sake, he made him, Jesus, to almost turn into our sin, so that in him we could be made right with God. Isaiah 53 tells us that when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, having all the sin and horror of mankind poured into his heart, it was his father's judgment to crush him in his wrath. The penalty and the price that each one of us should face one day when we die was poured onto Jesus Christ. Could you guys lean that if it's going to fall over? Will that stay? Thank you. Just look at that for a moment. All of our sin nailed, smashed into Jesus Christ himself. So that the penalty that I should pay when I die would have been paid already. So in 2005, when I, well, 2004, when I moved to East Grinstead, I was invited to come to church and I was, I was really like, no. I started hearing more of the gospel and my heart understood, wow, this Jesus died for me. But I didn't understand the gospel. I thought that I would have to, surely, to, to come to this Jesus, I would have to... Like, at least start to sort out my life a little bit. I was such a mess. And I was like, surely there's no way. I know what you did for me. There's no way you would accept someone like me. Like, surely I'd, I have to start living better to be like an acceptable person to you. Oh, how wrong I was. 
Do you know, whilst Jesus was being battered and torn to pieces, he was being mocked by Roman soldiers. While he was carrying his own cross, unable, so weak through blood loss and pain, he was helped. He was nailed onto a cross, and while he was hanging there, torn to pieces, having his own father crush him for my and your sin, people were spitting at him. Cursing him, insulting him. In the moment when he was at the most like human agony you could be in. At the most pain any soul could ever experience. He had been betrayed by his closest friend. Abandoned by all of his friends. Totally alone. Hanging there in the definition of agony and loneliness. It says there were two thieves either side of him. Both of them. Matthew 27, 44. It says both of the rebels next to him being crucified were heaping insults on him as well. And to show you that it does not matter where you are in life. How much you know, how much you don't know. How far along the journey of trying to be a better person you are. When Luke records this, he says there's a moment when one of the criminals who is being crucified next to Jesus stops and says to the other one, he's like, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence as him, we are punished just, justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. He was saying, like, I deserve to die. I have, we have done so much wrong, we deserve to die. But he said, this man, this Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Here's a man who has no hope to try and prove anything. He knows he's going to die. He's even admitted, I justly deserve this. Moments earlier, he's been spitting and cursing and insulting Jesus as well. But something happens in his heart. And for a moment, he says, Jesus, would you remember me? Like, just me, would you remember me? And in my head, I could picture Jesus going, no. How dare you? But he responds, he says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I marveled at this. I said, like, How? When, when Jesus' own heavenly father had had to turn away from him after crushing him for my sin, all the abuse in the world poured into his heart, he still had a moment where he could lift his chest up and gasp a breath and say, truly, today you'll be with me in paradise. Do you know, at the depths of this agony, there was one thing, I believe, holding Jesus still to the cross, and it was joy. The very last emotion you would imagine being part of someone's heart or experience during all this was joy. Hebrews 11, 12 verse 2 says, It was for the joy set before Jesus that he went to the cross. It was for the joy. What could possibly give him joy? In a moment of utter terror, anxiety, pain, agony, what could give him joy? It was saving you and me. So that one day I could say, Jesus, would you take my sin away? 
would you forgive me? And no matter how far I would be on that journey of understanding how much of this gospel do I understand, this thief hadn't read a gospel, hadn't been written yet. He wasn't a good guy. He, he accepted I, the stuff I've done. I deserve this death. But just like that, Jesus responded, today you will be with me in paradise. And I'm like, how? It's because there was eternal, infinite joy in Jesus at the possibility of saving you and saving me. While we were still sinners... Christ died to offer you and offer me a way of getting rid of all of my wrong. And receiving all of his right. Do you know when? (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, this gospel. I give him all of that, and in return, despite not deserving a thing, not earning a jot, no matter how much you pray, read your Bible, do good things, you don't earn a thing with the Lord. But he got all my wrong, and then I get all of his right. I get words written across my heart like forgiven, loved, accepted. I haven't earned anything of this. But I get words like holy written across my heart. Even though, ask my boys this morning, I am not perfect. I have another perfect moment in my life. And what this gospel is, isn't just this like lucky ticket that when we do die one day, and I pray you have a long life. I pray that you all have a long and happy, sick, less life. But when death comes one day, This gospel isn't just the lucky ticket that you can hold on to and say, I know I gave my life to the Lord in 2023 on an Easter service. But he says, I will make you a child of God now. I will give you a clear conscience from all the things you've done because I paid for them. And I will put your life and I will hide it inside my own. So your life would be hidden in me. So that when Jesus looks at me, because I have done this exchange, I did nothing. I just said, please, would you remember me? Would you remember me? And in October 2005, the Lord himself says, says, yeah, I truly, Matthew. I forgive you. I wash you clean. I now write these words over your heart and I will hide you in me. You are now hidden in me. So when God looks at me, even though he sees my grumpy dadness and all the worst things that I do, he sees the righteousness of Christ, me totally hidden and saved in him. And that's what he offers to you today. Every single one. Hillary, could you come up, please? Every single one whether you would feel right now you belong more alongside that thief on a cross. Because in your heart, you know you have done really bad stuff. Or whether you feel like, I'm kind of one of the good guys. 
the truth is, to God's standard, none of us are. And your only hope when you die is that your life is found hidden in him. Not that you will have earned this, not that you will have deserved this, not that you will ever learn enough or pray enough or thank him enough. Oh, I will have eternity to do that. But I know that for God so loved me and he so loved you that he sent his only son to die and pay a price that none of us could ever pay so that through the life and the death of Jesus Christ, all of our sin could be placed on him and paid for. And the reason why we sing with such joy on this day, Easter Sunday, is because when, when that story goes of the tomb was rolled away and Jesus Christ had resurrected, he had risen from the dead. It was to prove beyond all doubt that the payment that he paid was paid in full. It was totally acceptable. So that this sinner could be hidden in him and counted free. I don't like the idea of dying. But what happens to me after that, I have no fear in. Because this is where I am and this is where I will be. If you aren't hidden in Christ today, if in your heart you know that Should you die today, you have probably got that written on you when you face God. I plead with you, would you accept the Lord Jesus today? I plead with you. There's a song. There's a song that I want to... I want to read through while Hillary plays. And then we're going to respond and I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to say to Jesus, I believe in you. Would you forgive me too? And I can promise you, he will say yes. Because you were the joy that he died for saving you paying the price you could not pay was his joy I'm going to ask another group of people to respond as well that Revelation 3.20 that Chris spoke of of how Jesus knocks on the door of your heart fortunately Jesus can knock on the door of your heart if you don't know him but that verse was written to Christians Jesus said there are some of you who have gone lukewarm with me. And it's like you have closed the door of your heart to me. And this saviour of grace says, I stand at the door of your heart knocking. I will not stop knocking. Just like Chris's story, my story. He never stopped knocking. He doesn't bang hard. But if you know that you have given your life to Jesus, you know that your life is hidden in him. But you also know that there's some ways that you have closed your heart to the Lord. I'm going to ask you to respond and recommit your life to him by opening the door of your heart. His song goes like this. Are you hurting? 
and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling you. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling you. So leave behind today your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There is no reason to wait because Jesus is calling you. So bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born because Jesus is calling. So if you could all close your eyes, please. This song continues. So come to the altar. As the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness for you was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a saviour. Isn't he wonderful? So sing hallelujah for Christ is risen. Bow your heart before him for he is Lord of all. Oh, sing hallelujah for Christ is risen. So with everyone's eyes closed, I would ask you, if you have heard this this gospel, and this day want to give your life, all of your wrong to Jesus, and in return receive all of his right, and have your life hidden in him from now and forevermore, I would ask you to raise your hand, please. going to ask the second group of people if if as a Christian you know that there are areas of your life that you have closed the door to Jesus and through hearing this gospel again can almost hear and feel Jesus knocking on the door of your heart I would ask you to raise your hand to recommit your life to Jesus Christ today Hallelujah. What I'm going to ask is if you raised your hand today or if there's a part of your heart that wishes you had raised your hand today, I'm going to ask you to come um, to the front, to the side at the end of this service and come and meet with me. I would love, I would love to tell you how the Lord loves you and forgives you and has forgiven you. So Heavenly Father, we thank you with all of our hearts for sending your Son to do what none of us ever could have done, which is make us right with you. Jesus, I thank you that it was not duty that held you on the cross, it was the joy of saving each one of us. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come You would reshape our hearts in a way that worships you most. For those that have got a step closer but haven't haven't given you their life yet, I ask you, Holy Spirit, you would be with them and remind them this isn't complicated. You just have to ask him. 
And for those of us who have recommitted our lives to you today, I ask that this truth that is written over me would be known to them as written over them. What a brand new day to be alive in you, Jesus. Amen. Just for the moment, um, I'm going to hand over to Sam and Grace who are going to share a couple of things. And again, if, if you've raised your hand or wish to, do you please come and meet? Amen. Hey, my name's Dan Baptist and I'm lead pastor here at Jubilee Community Church. We really hope that something from this morning's word has blessed you and reached you. And if you'd like to talk about anything you've heard or just be able to talk about maybe faith or get some prayer, then please get in contact. You can email us, give us a call at the centre and one of the team's going to get back to you. We'd love to do this, especially if you're just thinking about what it is to become a Christian. You want to sit down and really talk that through with anyone. We also run regularly on a Sunday some joining the church courses. And if you want to know more about Jubilee Community Church and what it is to belong here, then you can just uh, find out online when the next one of those is going on and you can attend, have a meal, sit down, talk about it. We also have some amazing midweek group life uh, where it's a great opportunity to dig further into your faith. Again, you can find out that on our website too. Anyway, just wanted to say hi and uh, bless you and we'll catch up soon.